and welcome back to the Wayfarer Weekend Podcast. I'm Tom Vanderwill. Thanks for joining me again. It's Christmas time. We have our children and our grandson with us all week. We are so excited. Can't wait for Christmas morning. Yaya Wendy's going to make her Cinnabon cinnamon rolls from scratch, and we're going to have Christmas brunch and hang out, open presents, and then uh, just be quiet, watch Christmas movies, be a family, veg out. Can't wait for it. Uh, January 3rd is still on the preaching schedule for me in the Third Church Auditorium, although it's changed to 9.15 a.m. As always, I keep the schedule of my upcoming messages on tomvanderwell.com. Right up at the top of the page, you'll see upcoming messages. You can click on that and see what's on the schedule. And then the messages tab has an archive of all the old messages for what that is worth. Our chapter day journey continues through the Psalms. We finished up Psalm 87 on Friday. And guess what? We just have 63 more Psalms to go. It's a long book, but it's been good. I will be taking a rest, FYI, from the chapter day trek this coming week to spend maximum time with my family while I have them here on this side of the pond and all the way from South Carolina. Remember that you can scroll back to old episodes if you need a fix. I plan to be back on the path the week after Christmas. Today, Part two of my conversation with Matthew Birch, who is unpacking for us his notion that everyone is having a conversation with life. Now, in part one, we talked about what this conversation is, and we left with Matthew talking about the fact that it is usually the pain points of life, anxiety, tragedy, depression, that leads people to recognize this conversation they're having and to engage with it. And we'll pick it up right there. After this, our emotional brain is what develops first. And then out of that emotional brain is a kind of partial belief system. Okay. And then out of that belief system comes the thinking part of our brain that develops self-awareness and actually is the part of our brain that can have the conversation. You ask a five-year-old, tell me about your conversation with life, they're going to look at you cross-eyed going, what are you talking about? Right. Can't. You ask a 25-year-old, they're going to partially get it with a little bit of explanation because around 12, 13, our prefrontal cortex really starts to develop. That is when we can abstractly reflect on our life and actually think about our life and make some determinations about it. Mm -hmm. And when we can make determinations about our life, it means we're developing the, the system of navigation. So we can navigate to our waypoints. Right, which is why children naturally have these out-of-control emotions that we as adults have to understand and go, well, they can't cognitively realize what they're... They're just emotions out of control. And they will make decisions and yes. have a meltdown or do whatever. Right. Yes. Based Te on that. Teenagers, we wonder sometimes why they make decisions the way they do. And when we ask, they say, I don't know. Yeah. It's because that part of their brain hasn't, they haven't thought it through. Yes. That part of their brain hasn't developed. Now, in the progression of life, if there is trauma or if there is a, a real hard event that takes place, 
that they cannot emotionally process. They can get stuck. And it's similar to driving your vehicle. All of a sudden you have a deluge of water and there then develops a lot of mud under your wheel and you spin your wheels. And you're kind of sitting there waiting, spinning your wheels, thinking you're moving someplace. Your wheels are going around, but you're not moving anywhere. Kind of a similar metaphor. Mm-hmm. We're doing stuff, but we're not going anywhere inwardly. We may be living our life outwardly, but inwardly we're just spinning our wheels. It really kind of requires something hard, doesn't it? Yes. It requires heat and pressure to grow. Oh, so explain that for me. Unpack that for me. Heat and pressure. So you can take metal and... To bend metal, to shape it, to form it, it takes heat and pressure. But too much heat and pressure, and you will melt it. And it will no longer be the metal that you knew it to be. So everything in life is held in a tension of this balance of too much and too little. If it's too little, we're not motivated to grow. We all get fat on the calf, and we're just... You know, relaxed and easy peasy. And it actually fosters a more self-focused life. If there's too much pressure, it creates a stress that we begin to walk with the limp that only begins to affect other parts of us. It's too painful. Give an example. So I work with uh, military veterans. And I've never been in the military, but I just have such a love and care for those that do go and patriotically, devotionally fight for our country and fight for those of us who are here at home. And so if they get into a a difficult situation where bullets are flying overhead, bombs are being dropped, there's chaos. Mm Mm-hmm they will be able to perform typically as long as they are continuing to focus on their mission. Where the wheels come off is when they come home and they Mm -hmm. enter back into civilian lives. And all of a sudden, they don't have a mission. They have to be a dad or they have to be a husband or they have to be a friend or they have to be an employee. If there's been too much trauma overseas, they're going to struggle. And that struggle can be handled in a variety of ways. To ensure that they don't feel what they're feeling. So if I feel the heat and the pressure of life mm-hmm. and I and I don't respond by having that conversation with life and it doesn't motivate me to dig in and go, I've got to figure this out and I need to make sense of this. What, what do they do? What are the coping yes. mechanisms? Well, we all live, to answer that question... Let me uh, double back and say we all live in a context of the difference between disappointment and devastation. The example of the military person can experience devastation in a nanosecond. Their buddy could be shot right next to them. Their Humvee could get blown up, whatever. That's Mm -hmm. devastation. That creates trauma. But for the most of us in the bell curve, we live in these moments of disappointment. And how we deal with the negative emotions of disappointment will determine how we grow. 
Let's say I, as a person, cannot tolerate negative emotions. If you're doing something that's preventing me from accomplishing what I want, I'm going to be disappointed, and so I may develop a mechanism of control. I may develop a mechanism of anger. Anger and control or withdrawal. Mm. I'll just say to myself, I'm done with you. You've disappointed with me. Uh, you've disappointed me. So those are mechanisms that don't allow us to get through and progress through that unfortunate or maybe just a disappointing aspect of life. Emotional maturity is keeping your heart open to the celebration and joy of life while still navigating the disappointments and not having those disappointments create a defensive pattern inwardly that we just shut ourselves off to life, period. So let's back up. And for those who might be listening to saying, you know, I wonder what my conversation with life really is. Mm. What is it, what is, you know, without booking an appointment with you, <laughs> but what, what are, what would you tell somebody to say, here, here are some starting points to, mm -hmm. to understanding what your conversation with life really is? Yes. Excellent question, Tom. Thank you. I think the, start, the first starting point would be to be honest with yourself and to look at yourself in the mirror and say, do I have someone who hears me and hears me to the degree that I'm actually speaking Secondly, do I have someone who, after they hear me, they're willing to say, and this goes back to what I begin in my office, and that is, I would say something like, you know, Tom, I notice that when you fill in the blank, do this or do that, you choose this or that or feel this way or that way. Did you notice that? Okay. The reason why I go down that path is a real helpful tool for all of you out there who are listening. If you've ever heard of the Jahari window, the Jahari window is basically four quadrants. And let me, let me name them because they're actual four quadrants of relationship and growth. Okay. So the first obvious quadrant is, Tom, there's a side of you that I know, and there's a side of you that you know, right? Okay. The second quadrant is, there's a side of you that you know, and there's a side of you that I do not know, because you haven't shared it. <laughs> right. Like, I didn't know you had a mentor. Yes. Right. Right. Okay. The next quadrant is there is a side of you that you don't know, but there is a side of you that I know because I'm with you and I'm knowing you. So you see and observe mm. and see patterns in me and mm -hmm. observe things about me that are blind spots to me? Or? Blind spots, a good yeah. word. Okay. You may not be aware, and they may be subtle or they may be obvious, but all of us have a side that we don't know about that someone else may see. And when you're in a truly growth-producing relationship, all of a sudden those three 
boxes of the Jahari window begin to manifest in the relationship of trust. Now, the fourth one... I was going to say, we haven't gotten to the fourth one. The fourth one is, there's a side of you that you do not know, and there's a side of you that I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) And therein lies the mystery, right? Therein lies the mystery, but let me just say, therein lies the progression of growth. Mm -hmm. Because when you don't know it, and I don't know it, there's the discovery of, oh my gosh, Right. So now we're back to being. Yes. Now we're always in yes. the process of being. Absolutely. Yes. The most dissatisfied life is a life that's not growing. There are a lot of living dead people, Tom. And what I mean by that, there are people that are alive and they literally have resigned themselves to human doings, but have relegated their lives of being a human being and becoming to their doing. So they're not becoming anything. Their life is nothing more than maintaining and facilitating the doings of their life. Tasks. Could we also say that there is a... uh, How do I put this? Could we say that my progress as a human being is going to be somewhat dependent on the quality of the relationships that I am, I have or am willing to have. Brilliant. Absolutely. Because without that piece of me, without you knowing things about me that I don't know, I can't learn from that observation. Yes. Or, Tom, you giving me permission to gently, gracefully, lovingly say, Hey, Tom, I noticed this. Yeah. If you didn't give me that permission, the conversation wouldn't happen. Right. Which, going back to uh, the last couple of podcasts with Karen Cleveland talking about the Enneagram, one of the things we talked about is the Enneagram provides a sort of a foundation for having those conversations. Yes. Like, Matthew, I know you're a five. And so there is a certain lens with which you investigate life. Mm. The investigator. Yes. And I see that taking place, but it also allows me to speak into things that I see in you because I can say, hey, Matthew, you know, I'm noticing something. Would you like to know what it is? Yes. (laughs) And I know you're going to go, absolutely, I want to know. Yes. Because I know how to approach you because you're a five. Yes. And I know what stimulates you. I know what motivates you. Mm-hmm. And it allows me to speak into that and say, Matthew, you know, I think it's like, I've been observing something. I think I'd like to share that with you. And I know you're going to want to know what it is. Yes. What is it? What is it? Right, right, right. <laughs> but that, to your point, there's a trust there and yeah. there is a foundation. Mm-hmm. There's a way that we can communicate and are willing to communicate with one another. Yes. In a way that we can receive it from one another and trust one another with it. Indeed. But let me change that up and give an example. Okay. Um, now, I had the blessing of just having a wonderful father. My father's no longer with me. He mm-hmm. passed in 94. Maybe that could be another podcast. Yeah. But um, because I had a loving father, and my dad was all about growth, and I mean, being a father of seven kids, there were times when he raised his voice and did other things, but deep down, I knew my father was loved me. So there, there was no 
defense or no wall I needed to feel like I had to carry around with me to ensure my own survival. But let's say I had a father who berated me and called me good for nothing and, and said a lot of different things that were harmful as I went from boyhood to manhood. As a man, I would not be open to your feedback and I would, I would defend myself because the fear would be that you're just waiting to say something negative or to put me down or to harm me on some level. So I wouldn't be open to growth and I couldn't hear you, Tom, even though we're friends and you may not even know that. Mm. It's what happens to us when we are harmed or injured on emotional levels or relational levels. We just stop growing. We become stunted. It's so sad. That's terrible. Yeah. So the path to growth is staying close to the path of life. And the path of life really is the abundant way. And in that abundance, we will experience all of what God has proclaimed and has said when he says the kingdom of God is at hand. And that's a kingdom of goodness. It's a kingdom of richness, of all the things that our inward way needs. You know, I, one of the things I love and appreciate about you, Matthew, is just the way that you're wired. And that it is not, what you're talking about today is not vocational. Hmm. It is, but that's not, that's not the reason. There is a foundation of spirit in mm. you, the way that God has motivated you and created you that I recognized really early on. And I remember, and I've shared this because I got to share this at your wedding. Yes. Oh, that was so much fun. Yes. That I realized very early on that when we would be having conversations, you would ask me questions. And that question would be, it's like swimming up a river. And you're, you're guiding me. So you ask me a question, we're paddling up this river. And then you say, oh, based on my answer, you go, oh, Tom, well, what a, huh. Now that you've said this, I have this question. And it's sort of like, then we kind of go off into this little tributary. And then th the further we talk, you just keeping asking my questions. And it's just like going further and further up to the creek, mm -hmm. to the source, mm -hmm. to the very spring mm -hmm. that, that, where really life comes from mm. and you're just your questions are constantly leading me there but again it there are people and i've observed this as we've walked the journey together there are people who are intimidated that your questions are all about trying to pigeonhole them yes box them in categorize them so that you can judge them or figure them out Yes. Or psychoanalyze them. Right. When the reality is that th what I have observed in you is that you're you're always trying to lead people to the source. Mm, uh -huh. Always. <laughs> and that's what I love and appreciate about you. And that's mm -hmm. why I think that you're so good. And you, I think that why you do what you do and why you're so good at it. Mm. Oh, Tom, I appreciate you saying that. Um, you know, one of my favorite psalms is Psalm 139. And 
the reason why I like Psalm 139 is it's a psalm of David reflecting on the enormity of God's immeasurable love. I mean, the psalm starts out with, look, I, I formed you and knit you together in your mother's womb. I formed you in the dark place. What are you thinking? Paraphrase. Right? Yeah. Our origin comes from God. And then in the middle of the psalm, he begins to talk about our different postures. I know when you stand up. I know when you sit down. I know all your thoughts from afar. I am intimately acquainted with all your ways. It is such a psalm of immeasurable intimacy. Who can we say in this horizontal world of living life and relationships is intimately acquainted with all our ways? Let's bring this back to current events right now. Yes. Because what we have really, what where we have ended up here is that my personal growth, my maturity as an individual is somewhat dependent on the quality of the relationships that I have. Mm. And this finding this relationship where I can know and be known, mm-hmm. where there is trust, which takes time to develop those kind of relationships. And now we have found ourselves for the last nine months in a situation where we are told to be alone, to be in confined spaces, Mm -hmm. to wear masks where we can't see or where I can't hear very well Mm -hmm. with my hearing impairment. I know we share that, that struggle as well. Yes. Have you seen that lockdowns, quarantines masks, stay away from one another, no, no group get togethers, um, has had a detrimental effect on people. Yes, Tom. Excellent question. What is happening right now is diabolical. There is an insidious fear that is infiltrating our psychology of how we see each other and how we live in our own skin. Isolation, first of all, is the worst ingredient that disallows our human becoming. In fact, when you go back to the Old Testament, what did they do to the children of Israel when they were in Babylon or in some of these other um, places of captivity? Mm-hmm. Right away, they would separate them. They would separate uh, parents and children, husbands and wives, and they would have them so isolated and disoriented in that isolation that they would even, some, lose some of their identity. Mm-hmm. And they'd begin to take on the identity of whatever's around them. And so getting to your question, I understand the need for care and consideration and cooperation. However, that's not without the third C, connection. Yeah. And I guess my question is, are you seeing the negative effects of that isolation? Yes. Depending on the resources that people have, whether it's relationships or whether it's being able to get out and about, etc., or whether people are having to work from home and not get out, just the person's ability to be creative and say, hey, I've got to connect. 
we can be left with our own thoughts, our own emotions, and we're constantly weighing our positive and negative emotions and trying to make some determinations about that. Mm-hmm. And without what we described earlier is, hey, I noticed this about you. Are you okay? Kind of moments. It's a slippery slope. So what are the things that you're seeing, um, just even as you talk to people or people are coming in and, and struggling over the last nine months? What are the, what are some of the, if you can, just kind of the yeah, types the of things that happen? Mm-hmm. Well, to proceed uh, answering that question, Tom, I like saying stress is the culprit of relational breakdown. And I can't help it, but I'm going to give you an example in the gym. If I bench 185 pounds and that's my max, my one rep max, I will notice if I add two and a half pounds to 185. So we all can manage a certain amount of stress and we have certain thresholds to do so. But all it takes is adding two and a half pounds more of something, whether it's children, children being sick, finances, husband or wife losing their job, an accident in the car, whatever it is, the compounding effect of events taking place in the context of isolation, people become anxious, depressed. They begin to think thoughts that are mental mistakes. And all of a sudden, those mental mistakes begin to hijack our thinking, and we actually begin to believe lies about ourselves, Mm -hmm. others, life, and living. Mm -hmm. That's why it's diabolical. And so there's probably a 35% increase in mental health needs nationwide, and that's tremendous. That's a lot. I mean, that's that's over a third. Yes. Wow. And... You know, there's a lot of feeder streams to what's creating anxiety because of just the instability. But let me give a positive Mm -hmm. notion to that. Please do. Change only happens when things are unstable. And because God is good and he's always up to something good, there is the greatest amount of environment for the greatest amount of change to redirect things for the greatest amount of good. And Mm. I can take hope in that. And to all of you listeners out there, I just want you to take hope in that and find someone who also takes hope in it and just believe it together. Yes. Because when we believe that together, there's joy, there's smiles. I'm smiling at Tom right now, and Tom is smiling at me because uh, birds of a feather flock together. It's hard being with a Debbie Downer, and if you are with a Debbie Downer, cheer them up with something positive. Yeah, it's good. Having good companions for the journey, man. Exactly. It means everything. Yeah. That's for sure. Matthew, I want to thank you for taking the time. We're going to do this again. Okay. You're coming back, aren't you? Yeah, I sure hope so. This is fun. This is awesome. I don't get to speak in front of a microphone often. Yes. (laughs) Well, and if there's anybody out there that would be interested in learning more about you, tell them about your website or where to find more information. Yes. Um, LifePoint Counseling here in Pella, Iowa. I spend time with couples, individuals, uh, families, and um, there's a very priestly side to me, but there's a very professional side to me, and I try and integrate and blend those together. My pastor says, Matthew, I so much appreciate you put your theology before your psychology, and 
that's because I um, want to put God first. Absolutely. You also do some uh, organizational and systems and uh, you know consultation and some of those yes. projects too. I am very drawn to leadership development. Um, I've worked a lot with small to mid-sized businesses and quite a few nonprofits actually. Uh, working with churches, having been on the pastoral track, I realized that uh, at least back in the day when I did my graduate work, pastors didn't get so much on leadership development. So uh, seminaries are producing a lot of good shepherds, but good shepherds don't necessarily know how to lead well. So I learned a few things and got some certificates from DePaul University and uh, on uh, human consulting and leadership development. And I'm just drawn to trying to build people up so that they could be their best, whether it's in a family or whether it's in an organization. Awesome. Yeah. Thanks so much for being with me today. Thank you so much. I want to thank Matthew Birch for being on the podcast the last couple of weeks. Next Wayfair weekend, I am hoping to have a special guest or guests to discuss father-daughter relationships, but I haven't talked to them about that, so we'll see what happens. Reminder that I'm taking a break from my chapter day trek this week. Feel free to reach back into the archives. We were part of the way through Exodus when I began recording the chapter a day, so you can always scroll back and find some of the old podcasts. As always, you have my permission to share this podcast or any chapter today post or podcast with anyone, anywhere. Have at it. It's free. As we enter the week of Christmas, I just want you to know that I am mindful that for many people, this season is particularly painful, especially in a year that has been so difficult for so many, and this year has. So no matter where your heart finds Christmas in a place of pain, or joy, I would love to bless you, and I would love to have you receive it. May the road rise up to meet you, my friend. May the wind be always at your back. May the sun shine warm upon your face. May the rains fall soft upon your fields. And until we meet again, may God hold you in the palm of his hand. Merry Christmas, everyone. <laughs>